Welcome to the Growing With Purpose podcast. I'm Paul Spiegelman, and we're going behind the scenes with very special leaders, learning about what shaped them into who they are in business and in life. As a business owner, are you continually searching for less stress, more time freedom, and increased profits? Prosper for Business by Mackey might be the solution you've been looking for. Prosper for Business is both an executive coaching program and fractional CFO service designed to deliver exceptional results through increased education, visibility, and accountability. Prosper for Business graduate Jude Hemmen, CEO of Furlong Building Enterprises, said, The decision to work with Mackie was a life changer. They truly care about our success and give us the tools to do so. Working with the Mackie team also helped Julie Bach, owner of the Bach Group, see things in the business she hadn't seen before that led her to the business being more efficient, productive, and profitable. Does Prosper for Business sound like the right next step for your business? Visit MackeyAdvisors.com slash smallgiants. That's M-A-C-K-E-Y Advisors.com slash smallgiants to learn more. My guest today is Heidi Baumgart. As Chief Operating Officer at Skidmore Studio, a 65-year-old branding firm, Heidi fosters a healthy studio environment that allows all Skidmoreans to thrive both in doing their best work and collaborating in a fun virtual workplace. Heidi is also recognized as a supportive, purpose-driven people developer and career coach. Welcome, Heidi. Thanks for having me, Paul. So good to have you on. And uh, I'll start out by saying that uh, we got to hang out a bit because you were in our Leadership Academy that just graduated in September. And uh, it was wonderful to have you in the program and participate and build those relationships with the group. Uh, but tell us about Skidmore and how long you've been there and and what your role is. Oh, absolutely. Uh, so I've been with Skidmore just over a year, um, you know, 14-ish months. And um, Skidmore Studio is a branding agency studio, um, very design driven and, and brand strategy for predominantly consumer packaged goods and um, brands that do food and fun. And so my role, I mean, ultimately my role is to support the health and wellness of all Skidmorvians. I mean, that's my focus, but in as far as the day-to-day and my hats, um, I have responsibilities relevant to business and people operations as well as account service and um, and collaborating with everybody. Yeah. You came in at a really uh, pivotal time for, for Skidmore and working with Drew, the CEO, very closely. You had to kind of rewrite the book quite a bit, even coming out of COVID. What was that like? We did. Well, the first major change of the 65-year-old studio um, in their four, with the fourth owner and in this like, I don't know, fourth or fifth version of the company um, was that we were going remote. Um, of course, we all went remote with COVID. The studio had, you know, been virtual, um, but we had a physical studio in Detroit. And 
Um, the lo local Michiganders were going into the studio more and more, you know, as as COVID was kind of ending. And but we just realized that it wasn't the way we wanted to run the company anymore. Um, people wanted to go in the office less and hybrid was working for some people. Um, but we also wanted to open up our hiring nationally. And so in doing that, we wanted to be remote really intentionally um, and keep this vibrant, um, supportive culture that we have. And so we um, spent a lot of time with that. So some of that was um, actually updating and rewriting, totally overhauling our core values. Um, and some of that was um, changing our actual people. So we had, you know, a bunch of people changes, some people left, some people um, weren't in the right seats. Um, some folks, you know, just, it, it didn't make sense anymore. Like what they wanted out of their career and, and like going remote just didn't quite fit what they were doing. And, um, and so we've made quite a few people changes um, in the last year. So those are the two biggies. Yeah. As a, remote virtual firm now and being a year into it how you guys have and knowing that culture is so important to you and drew how have you kept the love going so to speak you know people ask about that quite a bit and uh i i think the remote is here to stay or virtual in some form or another whether it's fully remote or hybrid uh you guys are seem to be doing it successfully but how do you create and maintain that same level of engagement that you did before going virtual there are um, five core things I can I can um, mention that that I think our culture is better than ever, and I would say it's one of the best cultures I've ever been a part. I feel more connected and and I see our people more engaged than places that I've been where everybody was in the same room. Um, so one of the big ones is we have a scheduling template, um, and essentially it's every quarter we'll look at. Um, like what are the client needs and what are the different departmental needs and set rituals and routines of when our routine meetings are, when our weekly or bi-monthly check-ins are, um, and when our like Monday morning meeting, like our all hands meeting, and we do a weekly wrap-up meeting, like we set that template in advance. Um, and it's great because since we're in, I don't know, eight states and three time zones with a clients in a fourth time zone. Um, this just makes it so everybody is working at least many common hours and it's not too early for those, you know, mountain timers and it's not too late for the East Eastern timers. Um, and so that scheduling template's really great. Um, another big one we do is we have in our Monday morning meeting or our weekly meeting, we have, um, core value callouts. And so it's employee peer-to-peer -peer recognition. And so you can recognize anybody on the team or groups of people based on the core values. And so in that meeting, the first thing we do is um, it's pre-submitted. So everybody like reads, you know, like what the callouts are for, for their peers. Um, and it's just a great way to like understand and build empathy for what people are up to and celebrate everyone. So that's been great for culture. Um, we have um, Slack, we work in Slack as like our, our chatting function. And um, yeah. we have 
daily, these really fun daily Slack prompts. So they're just those like auto triggers. And Mondays is like share a photo from your weekend. And it's fun. Like some people, you know, are sharing pictures of their families or some people are just sharing pictures of some hobbies, you know, not everybody participates every week, but it's just been really fun to see how people want to show up and what they want to share. And we've gotten to know some folks and so much better that way. It's, it's, it's very fun. Um, and then, you know, other ones are like, what are you reading and listening to and watching? And so we've had some great water cooler talk about, oh my gosh, this movie was great. Or I've been listening to this audiobook series or whatever. And so I, I love when that one comes through because I'm always being inspired by what everybody <laughs> else is listening to or reading. Um, and it's fun to share. Um, and then we have quarterly meetings where we get together. So every quarter we get together in person and every time we do it, I'm like, gosh, it doesn't feel like we don't see each other in person, but it is nice to get like that cadence has been really nice. Every 12, 13 weeks we get together and spend a couple days together in person and, and have those conversations about how it's going for the studio. Um, and then the other other big culture one is we have individual growth plans for everybody. So we, we do reality checks. I literally call it a reality check every quarter with everyone. Um, how's it going? What's it like for you? What's the experience for you? Um, is, you know, is it what you want it to be? Isn't it? And, um, and I, you know, take all of that information and, and we make studio changes every quarter accordingly. Wow. You know, that's such a great practical list and everybody's looking to those tools. And so you've implemented tools that I bet in some cases have brought you closer than you would have been had you been in the same building, right? Um, just write those, even those, the Slack prompts and uh, ways to just share. Um, and it's not hit or miss. It's just everybody doing it. And it's, and it's, it's part of that cultural process that you have put in place. That's really wonderful. And how on the outside, in terms of the consumer packaged goods industry, how do you translate who you are into what the client sees or what you deliver to them in your industry? You know, I, there's a couple like really like specific ones as it goes like like the scheduling template like that works for our clients really well they know like we we're in this cadence with them as well um as far as like like just general working together when they hear from us and so we can provide service and get back to them on things or or schedule um like work reviews you know like as, as they're seeing art or whatever it is like really consistently so like they see the process forward facing in that way because of the wonderful cadence that we've built with them. You know, I'd say, you know, we have some clients who um, are very set in, they think, you know, like not even, they're not even hybrid, like they're definitely in the office. And so they've been critical of it when we first um like called it and we said we're remote. So they were critical of it, but they haven't seen a change in service. If anything, they may have seen an improvement of service. So, um, you know, they've gotten behind it. There's been times when working with us, they've been like, oh man, like we just want to like come to the studio and meet you and like, and have an in-person working session. And like, well, we can still do that. You know, it's it's really not hard to spin up a day or two in, in any office, whether it's, uh, you know, we work or their office or, or wherever. And so um, even though the perception was, wow, you don't have a home base and you're not in person um, and you can't be printing things out like on demand, you know, in, in 10 minutes, like 
it, you know, we, we've, we've sagged in, in other ways and we, we've spun it up with them in, in other ways. So it still works for them. <laughs> uh, I think, I think they're, you know, as clients, we're all adjusting to, to the new world and realizing that it can, it can be done. And in some cases, like you said, it can even be done better, you know, and a lot of your, your focus is obviously the people management side. And um, you guys have made important decisions as you've gone through this transition, as have team members um, made decisions for themselves. But where does this sensibility come from for you? I want to take you back to early childhood um, in your, your family, kind of this entrepreneurial streak or this leadership. Um, where did that come from in school, early jobs, et cetera? Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. So many places. Um, so I, um, I grew up in a really rural area. Uh, my grandfather's grandfather came from Switzerland, a dairy farm. And so I come from a long line of hard workers, you know, the farmers that of America, you know, in the turn of the century, uh, 1800s, I mean. Um, and um, my grandfather had started his own farm and his own um essentially like house flipping into apartments business. And my mom was raised with that business and still runs it. And I was raised in that business. And um, so there was so, so much sensibility of just like hard work and just running a business and, and serving people in general is just how I was raised. And on the outside too, you know, their construction and asphalt and paving um uh, industry, but for both my dad and his father. Um, so there was just, you know, just a lot of like <laughs> cliche old school hard work, you know, elbow grease and, and all yeah. of that. And so I think some of that just like tenacity and like overall arching, like work sensibility comes from a lot of that, um, as far you know, in, in the entrepreneurialism, um, you know, with my family owning a small business from, you know, multiple generations, there was that, um, as far as my own leadership and even entrepreneurial spirit, I, I think some of that actually comes from me being an only child, um, and being in a very rural place. Like I was just constantly keeping myself busy. And, um, so through junior high and in particularly in high school, I was in every student organization. I played a ton of sports, um, I, I just would participated in a lot of things. And then I naturally had held leadership positions in those school and student and sport organizations. Um, and then that translated right into college um, where similarly, I didn't play sports, but I was in a ton of organizations. And because I was a advertising and marketing major, I was like always the marketing chair. And then, you know, you're, you're busy doing that. And then you'd get named vice president or president or whatever it was. So, I mean, I was, I just naturally was filling my time as a as an only child, <laughs> um, connecting with others, and like all of that has then all of those skills. Like I mean, I was building those skills from third or fourth grade, um, you know, till till now that I I still apply. Um, one funny thing I was thinking about as I went through the Small Giants Leadership Academy and I received my beautiful plaque certificates, like I had been in leadership and, and like Toastmasters and public speaking classes in third and fourth grade, but it, it, just now um, did I, was I actually officially certified. So, <laughs> yeah. You finally got recognized <laughs> all these years later. Um, yes, yes. I can yeah. put it on my LinkedIn. <laughs> 
Now, now, really pretty quickly out of college, you started your first business, right? I did. Um, so I worked for ad agencies. Um, but even in college, I had done a lot of event planning and like event coordination and um, with the student organizations. Um, and so when my husband and I got engaged and we started to plan our wedding, I realized how much general project management and some of the ad agency skills I had translated to planning events um, more professionally. And all of my wedding vendors were like, you know, you do this better than most wedding planners we know, <laughs> which was such a compliment. And so it became a side hustle. So I'd work at the ad agency all day. And then I was um, wedding coordinating in evenings and on weekends, of course, mostly Fridays and Saturdays. Um, until um, it finally got to the point where it was like, you know, if I'm going to do this, uh, I'm going to do it when I'm a little bit younger and we didn't have kids and, you know, was scheduled and all that. So I quit a good job um, that I loved. I quit a good job to to run my own business. And um, I'm so glad I did it. You know, I learned so much, but I was, I owned my own event playing business for about five years. We did a hundred weddings and other related events. Um, and I had about, I don't know, at peak season, I think I had maybe about seven subcontractors who were also event planners with me. And man, everything I learned being a business owner at that time, like applies to everything else I've ever done after it. Oh, gosh, I'm sure. Um, and and I know that um, later, after years have gone by and uh, you worked um, in on the branding side, you know, some big names and the agency side that... Uh, you got involved with the small giants community and you started to learn about this, the more of the people side of the business and became kind of enamored by that. It seems like you went through almost an epiphany yourself about your own personal vision and purpose and what you wanted to do that had you transition from doing the work to managing the people that do the work. How did that all come about? Did exactly. So yeah, after I was a wedding planner and I I went um what's called client side, where I was managing um marketing for businesses. Um somewhere in there I'd heard of Small Giants. Um it was about 2018. because uh, I was actually trying to apply to be but for the company to be awarded the Small Giant uh, mm-hmm. award. And um and that's when I I met Hemsa and you and um, had come to the summit um, and just was like seeing, hearing, hearing about in general, like EOS and hearing about um, just being a purpose-driven leader in general. Um, So I was with three companies in a row where I was managing marketing and brand and building the teams. Um, And so like I'd come in as like the first person, the first hire for marketing or something similar and then have to build the team. And I was actually building uh, like ad agencies within companies in a way. Um, And then when I was at a company called Arborware, which is an apparel brand, I actually started an internship program where we were mentoring cohorts of students. And as I was doing that, I was just like, this is what I love. It isn't marketing. Um, it isn't, I mean, and I do love branding still. I love marketing and branding. I still work in it. Um, but ultimately for me, yeah, it was an epiphany that when I was looking at my resume and thinking about like what really filled my bucket, what lit me up, what brought me joy, it was working with the people and helping them with their careers or like connecting clients with other vendors, connecting 
um, different past students with other people I knew to be hired. You know, I didn't necessarily want to be a recruiter per se, um, but I just love mentoring and coaching. I love building teams. Um, I love building, you know, like projects and specific teams with specific vendors and connecting all the dots. So yeah, probably it was <laughs> every time I go to the summit, I come home and then I'm like, have this, like, um, I don't want to sound too dramatic, but almost like an existential crisis. Like I get like real <laughs> aligned. What am I doing? Like, and does it, you know, like, does this work with what I'm, what I'm trying to do? So yeah. So in May of 2022, I went to the summit and I was just like, this is it. Like, why am I um, doing this marketing burnout? Marketing had really changed. Um, and so I took a week off. Uh, my husband um, was like, go take a break. And he stayed home with the kids. And I went on a little mini solo vacation. And I didn't talk to anybody except for actually the small giants team at one point. Um, and I wrote for a few days and I figured out you know, I had all these ahas of like what my purpose really was. And it's, I just want to support people and business leaders to do purpose-driven work. Um, that was my purpose. And so that's what I've been doing. And um, when Drew reached out to me at the end of June, like right after that, coincidentally, he, he, I got a text, Hey, can I pick your brain? And he wanted to pick my brain about how I would have thought of like how to hire some roles um, that he was struggling with at Skidmore. And the solution was hiring me instead of hiring <laughs> essentially trying to figure out what to do it. And so, and I, and I had this document I'd written post small giant summit and I like sent it to him. I'm like, Hey, here's what I want to do. And he was like, this aligns with the things we need. And that's, that's kind of the story. Yeah. About yeah just that. like, that's incredible. Really meant to be. Was that, I guess, uncomfortable at all or scary for you to make that pivot? You know, was, was your, when you came home and you told your husband what that you, what you realized you were meant to do um, in terms of just making that what really was a life change to go in a different direction uh, was that scary for you? Honestly, it wasn't. It was more like, why did it take me so long to figure this out mm. and get so, like, I got so clear and galvanized on it so quickly. It was like, this is the theme. This is the invisible thread from even before I was in the, like, working. Um, and so, um, you know, some of the scary part would, was, like, <laughs> being patient <laughs> I was like, mm -hmm. once you know what you want to do for the rest of life, you want the rest of your life to start right away, which is actually a quote from my favorite movie, When Harry Met Sally. But um, I, yeah, I just, it wasn't scary. It was, um, I had a framework for um, what I would call table stakes of engagement. Like I had this uh, conditions of satisfaction. Um, and a lot of that I had actually worked on with my coach um, and my leadership coach who I've met through Small Giants, Jess Lilly, who's incredible. I'd worked on like all these conditions of satisfaction. And so when I knew I wanted to change what I was going to do, it was more like, okay, I just got to find the right fit. And I I can't just jump um, just because I want to jump and be doing this. You know, I had to be patient and find the right thing. And then the right thing found me um, with through. Um, again, Drew, and we, I haven't even mentioned this, but like I met Drew at the summit, my first summit, and I've known him for years. Um, and I knew who he was and we, we spent a lot of time evaluating and, you know, like getting a sense of, um, what, 
what his vision was for Skidmore and what my vision was for my career and so much aligned that then, you know, I could jump. Yeah. Wow. Um, it's certainly worked out well. Um, at the same time, you guys are still going through changes and challenges and, um, and as many companies are going through today, looking for great people. So what, what are the, the bigger challenges that you guys are dealing with at the moment? Uh, you know, really it's, we've, we've rebuilt things. Um, we, Drew has this wonderful vision for the company and, um, you know, he's the, the visionary and I'm the integrator in, in EOS language. Um, and so we have really taken the time to evaluate what it is we do, the work we do, how we do it, um, and then how we sell it. And then after we do a cycle of that, we, you know, we go back and we're doing retros and it's like, okay, how did this feel? And is this how we want to do it the next time? And so as we've built those um, systems, you know, we've hired people accordingly um, or again, changed roles or changed how we um, thought about the work. Um, and so um, it's, it's been, like I said, rebuilding, I think is the right language there. It's, it's like building this both focus and then the structure to execute. Um, and then we just need the right people who get it and who want to do that work. So we've got real focused on who our best customers are um, and like what, what amount of work, you know, we want to take what kind of work we want to take from those customers, the kind of people we want to work with um, as far as, you know, customers and and employees. And I think, you know, the um, the table stakes of engagement that I mentioned and those conditions of satisfaction that I have personally, I think Drew also has very specifically personally, and that's how we run the business with with whom we want to hire and and with what clients we engage with. So, you know, it isn't easy and you have to stick to the boundaries. And sometimes when you're like, man, we have like, we have room, we have capacity to take on more work this month or this quarter. And then you get an opportunity and maybe you're like, oh, like financially we should take this opportunity, but you know what, this just isn't a good fit for whatever it is, the people or the work or whatever. And, and so we've declined some work accordingly and it's always worked out when we stuck to our boundaries of, of the vision. So it isn't easy, but you just got to keep doing it. <laughs> I remember coming back years ago from seeing a client in Denver that was generating a million dollars a year for our business. And, um, and I wanted to fire the client and, uh, um, I left it to a vote of our entire supervisor and up management team of like 50 people. And we were going to lose all that revenue, but the way they were treating our account managers was really out of line. And, um, and I remember the vote being all but one voted to support getting rid of this client. And the only one person who didn't want to was the guy that sold it originally. So he had, he had incentive, um, but we found that it was so uplifting for the company to make the choice to uh, support ourselves and our culture more than the revenue that we were driving from that particular client. And was just, uh, I didn't know even know it at the time, the impact that that had on the company. So the fact that you're being choosy with your people and choosy with your customers is exactly what you wanna do and very supportive of the kind of culture that you guys are 
are building. I, I would think Heidi in the last you know year or so that you've been at Skidmore though, there's been some tough decisions that you've had to make. Is there one that stands out that's maybe really tough or hard or humbling for you that you can remember? Ooh. One's just kind of general concept and it's um it's just the prioritization of whom you can support. Um because you know I'm I'm want to support the teammate my teammates um as much as possible and and I coach everybody on the team. Um, but as we've been short-staffed um, and I've taken on some more account service roles or additional production roles or whatever it is, um, you know, my my days get real busy. And um, there's been times where I've had to pause some coaching or some other relevant support things for our team. Um, or I've had to uh, tell a client no, you know, and, and those kinds of things um, based on just like, there's only so much we can do in a day. And like that, the, the humbling of like, I can't always meet my quality or service personal expectations or personal standards is humbling over and over. Um, and it's, it's a lesson I've, another one that I was working on with my leadership coach, Jess, and, um, you know, just, I, I, have a list of, okay, like when I need a break or when I, I need a rest, like here, I need to go do it. I need to go take a break. And even if that means like, I'm not providing the the customer service or the level of um, employee support that I want to, I think that's, that's a big one. And as you know, sometimes you just like, I, I can't do some of the coaching because like we have a big client presentation and we need to close that work and get the, and get the contract signed or, or, um, or whatever it is, or, Hey client who you want to talk to me, you know, at five o'clock, like, I'm sorry, I have a kid thing. Um, you know, I have a, I have whatever my, my kids have whatever going on and I choose that. And, um, and if you don't understand, well, then like we probably shouldn't work together. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's it's always that like not being too hard on myself about the prioritization. Of- well, I think what makes that easier, and I know you're really good at, is not just prioritizing and making the decision, but communicating it in a in a compassionate way and a transparent way, so that people understand why you're having to pick and choose where you spend your time. And uh, a lot of times we make those choices, we don't say anything, and then we leave it to those people to come to their own conclusions, which is, uh, can be risky in its own. So I think you're, you're doing the right, the right way. And so with all the leadership experience that you've had over all these years, from childhood even to today, I know you're still learning. What, what's a part of leadership that you think you still need to improve on? Oh, boy. The list is long. Um, how to be brief. Um, I, you know, I do like to your point about like communicating, um, and being authentic. I do, I, you know, I'm, I'm always trying to challenge myself on like what I do share and what I don't when, especially like with business and people operations, I think there's a fine line of like, there's some things that you just can't quite tell people. Um, and other times when you can share to bring them along or and help build empathy or whatever it is, there's some of that kind of stuff. Um, you know, there's always these challenges that come with um, making decisions based on like what's best for, for the business, but that then supports the people. Like I just, you know, 
the um, decision-making stuff is always, there's always new challenges and it's always a place in leadership. I think that I can, can learn more from others or like learn other ways to consider decisions or, or solve problems. Um, that's one of those things that I don't know, it's kind of top of mind right now too. Like just always what's going on with clients and people, um, both communicating and, and solving things um, or not solving them and being okay with that. Sitting with consequences is always one that I'm working with or sitting with my feelings on business things is always <laughs> thing I could be better with. Yeah. 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 Well, the balance of all that is really hard for sure. And, mm -hmm. and even with all the influences that you had as a child in school through college, you know, you starting your own business, et cetera. Um, and, and then having the courage to make these really important pivots, including finding your purpose and executing on, on that discovery. Uh, what advice finally would you give to somebody that's younger, maybe didn't have all those influences starting out in business that uh, would help them on their road to success? You know, I was interviewing a young person yesterday and I, they were, um, they were just talking about how they had changed their mind about like their major or like what they thought they wanted to do in life. And I was like, man, never hold tightly onto that stuff. I, I think that's the best part of my career um, and my life is that I wasn't afraid of change. And I did reinvent myself in my career a few times. And I love telling other, like, especially young folks about that. Cause you know, if you don't know, Oh, you're going to college, you don't know what your major is going to be like, it's okay. Like you're going to change your mind or you're going to try new things. So, um, try some things on and fail or hate, try some things and know that you hated them or know that actually you loved them. Um, and, and, you know, don't, don't shy away from opportunities, even if you don't think you're qualified yet. Um, I think ever I've grown, it's, um, my husband would call it feeling like you're out kicking your coverage, you know, football metaphor there, but, um, like whenever I've grown, it's when like, oh man, I, I probably wasn't, I didn't have enough information or I like didn't have enough experience, but that's, that's how you do it. So just try, just try things on and don't be afraid to change. Well, I think I need to have you talk to my almost 22 year old daughter because she's not listening to me <laughs> when I, when I tell her that it doesn't matter that she doesn't know exactly what she wants to do, that she doesn't have her job. She's a senior and um, doesn't have that job lined up. And she just feels that tremendous peer pressure of all the kids around her who are already set with these high paying jobs and seems like they know everything that they want to do. And she's changed three times since going to school. And I said, honey, listen, I know that it seems like they all have their act together, but they're all going to change and, mm -hmm. and it's okay. And you just have to go out and experience different things. And when it hits you, it hits you. I mean, I didn't find my purpose and what I wanted to do for many, many years. And I changed multiple times in college and after college and, and it's just natural and it's okay. But they feel nowadays, I uh, observe just this peer pressure that is really uh, unproductive, to be honest. And uh, I, I need to take lessons on how to be a better dad or a more influential dad because I can't get her to relax about it. Well, well, you know, I would be happy to talk to your daughter. Right? 
I would love to. You know, I would I'd say a really great example of that is I think the pressure we feel is to have the right things on our resume to apply for places. But then when you like ultimately any job or opportunity that I ever got had nothing to do with my resume, the person who talked to me or hired me or the like somehow got referred my way or whatever it was, they like hadn't even seen my resume. And so it's such a funny um, just perception of how, you know, you're supposed to have this diploma and you're supposed to have this resume and you're supposed to have all this stuff, but ultimately like the best jobs don't even come from those things. So like, yeah, don't get too caught up on like what's on paper or knowing what should be there or knowing what you, you want to do. So. I know, have- I know. Well, uh, they'll, they'll, they'll learn eventually by um, experiencing things. What I do love about younger people today is that they, uh, they want something more. They want something more than the paycheck. And, and I love that. And even if that means moving around a few times, the things that we've been talking about in the community and small giants about purpose and values and creating that whole life experience at work seems to be catching on a little bit and, and younger people want that. And I think that's a positive thing. Oh my gosh. This next generation is, that's why I love mentoring students and talking to young people. Uh, you know, also, so I know what music to listen to and what fashionable things to wear. <laughs> they're just, yeah, they are. They're very purpose-driven. They, you know, they've seen the struggles of the world. And I think they know very well that life's too short to, you know, just have a job or do things you ultimately don't want to do or make you miserable. And I love that. And they, they are so purpose-driven um, and they, they know who they are too, which I love. So um I, I'm hopeful for the next generation and I, I love working with them and, and for your daughter, I mean, like have her look at um, some small giants and in, in my LinkedIn page to see like how many times people have changed. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, that's a good one. Yeah. That's so, a good suggestion. She looks at the average person and sees that she's, she's just not alone. Um, it's just, you know, it's a confidence thing and it's, and it's looking around at what's going on. Um, but yeah, she'll be fine and she's very sharp and, and I know we'll be a small giants leader someday as you have been and have become over the years. And I know your journey is going to continue to not only impact the, the people and the clients at Skidmore, but many people who come in contact with you, Heidi. Um, let me end with these five quick hit questions. Um, just kind of like the association game, just whatever comes to your mind. Um, can you name a leader that you look up to? Just one. Um, I love Jenny Britton of Jenny's Ice Creams. Jenny's Splendid. Mm, Very good. How about a great book that influenced your leadership style? Small Giants, of course, but um, that was an easy one. Um, I also, I love Atomic Habits. I'll tell anybody who'll listen to uh, read Atomic Habits by James Clear. That's a good one. Uh, What's your all-time favorite movie? Oh, I mentioned it. When Harry Met Sally. I love When Harry mm. Met Sally. <laughs> that's, a good one. that's a good one. The first time we've had that, but I love, I wrote down the quote you, you said from there. That's excellent. Um, how about your favorite TV series to binge watch? Oh, gosh. I mean, Ted Lasso is so good. I love Ted Lasso. Um, that one is really good. And I'm a Gilmore Girls person, too. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, um, that's a good one. The uh, but Ted Lasso just kind of came along at the right time, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that that's wonderful. 
And lastly, what's something about you that many people that don't know? Oh man. Um, you know what always surprises people is that I'm um I'm ordained to perform weddings, um, which was something <laughs> to like as a backup in case when I was a wedding planner, I like got ordained in case I had a problem and they needed someone to officiate the wedding. And because I did that, then I've had like eight different couples, like friends of mine asked me to ordain their weddings. And it's, it's a really special honor and a different version of leadership that I get to do with them, which is neat. Well, you won't believe this, but just in our team meeting this morning, I kid you not in small giants, Katie was talking about how she just performed a wedding and was ordained for a, a relative. And we were, I was asking, well, what, are you a minister? I mean, how did you get ordained? She goes, no, there's this online form and you go and it doesn't even, it doesn't even cost anything. And within a couple of minutes, you get a, you get a message that you can, you're qualified and it's legal and all this stuff. So it's like, wow, that that's pretty cool. That's exactly what I did. And then you have to submit that form. And I, at the time, and I don't know what it is now, but for the state of Ohio, where I live, it was $10 to, associate with the state and I'm on their list for life. Um, so I, it's funny how it comes up in conversation with people where I'll, I'll just hear about somebody being like, Oh yeah, we're going to go elope. And I was like, well, Hey, if you need somebody to sign your paperwork, <laughs> I got you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She said, she said the act to get ordained was free, but then if you want any kind of certificates or any of that, you got to pay like $35. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> that's, that's very cool. Um, well, let me reflect, Heidi, on some of the things I learned from you today, because I just I love your journey and, and what's left to come. Um, just thinking about um, how you really have come in and made a big difference, I know, for Drew and the team at Skidmore, uh, how you guys really uh, took this opportunity to not only decide to go virtual, but to overhaul your core values, make tough decisions uh, about the people and the clients that you wanted to work with. Uh, I love the five cultural best practices around virtual work that people can really learn from. They're all small things, but add up uh, to developing a process around a virtual culture. Um, the, the scheduling template, the core value callouts during weekly meetings, the Slack prompts, the quarterly in-person meetings, individual growth plans or reality checks, as you call, you know, all these things put, put in place uh, culture as a process, which most people don't even think of. They think it's a, about a feeling, but it's actually a process to be respected like anything else that you do in the business. Uh, just listening to how you how you learned those early lessons, right? The, from your grandfather and mom in that, in that business working together. Uh, you came from a long line of hard workers. I mean, like many of us, you know, with immigrant parents or grandparents and and that's what I learned from my dad. It was just that that hard work and just observing him uh, and, and knowing, God, if I could ever uh, do that kind of thing, the impact that I could have, and just to see that. And, and sometimes you go, is that is that lost? I'm, I'm not sure it is, but we need to continue to set a good example like that. And uh, how some of your entrepreneurial spirit came from just being an only child and having to fill your time and be busy. And so you, you jumped into sports and student organizations all the way through college. Uh, you were opportunistic that after working for a short time at the ad agency and planning your own wedding, you realized, oh, well, I'm pretty good at this stuff and end up starting a wedding planning business and doing that for a number of years, going back into um, the client side and, and doing marketing management for the for the most part. 
Um, and then being open to new ideas and to really understanding yourself, being exposed to small giants, other people you talk to, uh, went away that that important time in 2022 to say, you know, what do I really want? And felt like you had this epiphany and discovered your purpose, uh, which was that you wanted to really manage and coach and and help other people become the best versions of themselves. And I and I actually love this quote from when Harry met Sally that when you realize what you want out of the rest of your life, you want the rest of your life to start right away. And and that's really uh, a testament to the courage you had to realize that there is a new chapter in your life and you were going to jump into it. You felt the energy uh, from it and everybody else is going to feel that energy as well. And with all that you've done, you still got to improve. You know, we're all dealing with the daily stuff of balancing decision making, uh, the, the business side of it versus the people side of it. Not always easy. And that will never go away. That's the nature of business and the nature of life. And. And uh, lastly, the advice that you gave to others about not being afraid of change and reinvention, because we're all going to reinvent multiple times um, as the years go by, as we get exposed to other people, as we learn lessons, as we just simply age and have experiences. And you've leaned into that in a beautiful way. And I just love what that's done for you, what's it's done for the team at Skidmore, and what's going to do for many, many people going forward. So Thank you so much, Heidi, for being on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Paul. I, I, the reflection was really neat to hear. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Of course. And thanks for listening to this episode of the Growing With Purpose podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please rate and review it on Apple Podcasts. To learn more about purpose-driven leadership, go to smallgiants.org or follow us on social media. Until next time.